This podcast is brought to you by the University of Aberdeen. Hello, welcome to our PGR episode uh, from the Old Brewery. Uh, we have our guest, uh, Libertad Ansola Palafuelos, who is a PhD student in creative writing at the University of Aberdeen. Uh, in 2018, she graduated from MLIT Creative Writing by the same university and has an English language and literature degree from the University of Santiago, Compostela, Spain. And she writes short fiction both in English and Spanish. And in the past years, she has contributed with her work to several British and Spanish literary magazines, such as Lenial Mono, uh, Crack the Spine, and Sony Magazine. She is originally from Cantabria, a small region in the north of Spain. Her cultural background has deeply influenced her fiction. Her work deals with the, uh, the unspoken by means of uh, fragmentary and elusive narratives. She believes that our family and human relationships are at the core of who we are and enjoys writing that attempts to show how crazy and senseless life can be. Welcome, Libertad. Hi, June. Thank you. Yes, I'm uh, Sok Jun Kim. I'm the, the uh, Director of the Postgraduate uh, Research, and we have... Uh, Ian Gross, hiya, and I'm a PhD student in creative writing and co-hosting the From the Old Brewery podcast with Jun. Uh, you grew up in Cantabria in northern Spain, but can you tell us how you came to Aberdeen? Uh, how have you found uh, the experience while working uh, for your study in Aberdeen? Yes, I first came to Aberdeen, uh, I think it was in 2016. Uh, for um, my Erasmus year. Um, I was studying English in at a Spanish university and I realized that the education system was much, much, much more enjoyable in at Aberdeen University because I thought you were allowed to give your opinion and share personal thoughts on the literary text that we were reading. And that was something that was completely new to me. So I... I, I thought that I wanted to come back and continue my studies here because I also discovered that you could study creative writing, which was something really amazing that um, I couldn't have done in, in Spain at the time. So I just thought that I had many more possibilities um, and options if I, if I studied at Aberdeen University. So what uh, you think? So you came back to Aberdeen to do the Emlet. That was after an Erasmus year, is that right? Just just a, a twelve months as part of your undergraduate degree. Yeah, that's right. Hmm. Are you saying there's a big difference in in the way you're encouraged to learn about text? Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, of course. I think um, from my personal experience at a Spanish university, what we were doing with literary text was. Um, more memorizing analyses or we weren't we weren't really thinking for ourselves about the text which was which was something that i quite enjoyed when i came to aberdeen right okay that's that's interesting so you were memorizing critical interpretations of text rather than bringing your own kind of uh, viewpoint to them yeah that was something that that surprised me a lot when i i came here for the first time and i saw that the students were asked what had they thought about 
the um, texts and just giving their opinions because I thought, oh, we don't we don't do this in Spain. No, we don't really talk about the texts. We just memorize for the exam. We don't really write essays or think uh, for ourselves about the texts. That must have been quite disorientating at first, a bit overwhelming or... Or did you find it refreshing? Was it, was it good? Was it exciting sort of change? I thought it was easier, actually, because it's really hard to memorize so many things. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there's not an absolute truth, I think, especially to creative um, yeah. um, areas such as literature. So I thought it was much easier to um, make sort of, do sort of like a debate where everybody gives their opinion and there's no right or wrongs. So after you have done your MLIT and uh, just, uh, I guess it's a kind of natural uh, decision you made that, uh, okay, I'll follow up and do the PhD here. Yeah, because I thought um, that uh, you could, um, the university offered you the possibility of doing something creative, which was writing your own uh, fiction. And I thought that was, that was great. So with the help of Wayne, who's been really helpful um, uh, since I met him. That's, he, that's Dr. Wayne Price. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my supervisor, he he um, helped me out and I managed to, to um, start my PhD doing something that was very personal and something that I liked what I had chosen, which was fascinating for me. I don't think I would have ever had that option uh, back in Spain, at least uh, not not back then, probably. So your research has to do with the Spanish Civil War, and uh, it was interesting to you just mentioned that uh, if you were if you had been in Spain, you probably hadn't picked up this the uh, topic. But then you are out of it. You are uh, you are in Aberdeen. Then you uh, you felt like you kind of were able to pick this one as your your research yeah i think um i think it was quite spontaneously that i that i chose to write about that i chose this specific topic of the spanish civil war um i knew that i always knew that i needed to write about something that was embedded very deeply deeply within my family and myself um something for which i didn't have the words so um, writing about uh, something that you don't have the words for, something like about silence was, um, was very difficult. Um, and I started, uh, I stopped and asked myself, what am I writing about? And I realized that I was writing, that the background, the backdrop was the civil war. Um, it was sort of a taboo when I was growing up. I think especially, uh, within my family, uh, I remember my parents and my grandparents uh, always argued about politics when I was um, maybe 11 years old, 12. I was growing up and I was, uh, I didn't really know what they, those arguments were about, but I could feel that they, they raised their voices and I, I, it just made me wonder what was so important. Um, so I guess um, writing for me, uh, it was the way my way of putting into words that silence, and that's how I ended up writing 
in some ways about the Spanish Civil War. Did they? Uh, did your family sort of shield you from that internal uh, sort of friction that came out of that experience, or did they just not speak to you about it? Or did you learn about it as you as you got older? Have you learned about it since? Um, yeah, I was strange because they were arguing about it in front of me often about politics in general and other things, but without really mentioning it. Hmm. So yeah, I could sense that there was something that, that, that was confronting them. Uh, and I just it just made me wonder whether... Nowadays, it may, makes me wonder whether ideologies go before have gone before first before our values mm. but but yeah i just could sense that there was some sort of confrontation uh that was unspoken in many ways and is that a common experience you think for families in spain that the the civil war split families down the middle a bit like the you know independence referendum here and brexit and whole families sort of on opposite sides and yeah, it was mainly a civil war, it's a confrontation between brothers, right, and between families, and it it just um, uh, breaks families apart. And I think it has affected the whole society. I think nowadays we don't speak about it because it's sort of like you said earlier, like a taboo, like hidden, like a silence that we're not supposed to address, especially because um, with the pact of forgetting, um, there wasn't any, there wasn't any form of, um, like they, they haven't taken responsibility for, for our past uh, because we wanted, they wanted to, um, to make a smooth transition to democracy so they didn't created this part pact of forgetting so to pretend that that uh, nothing happened and not to 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 address the mistakes of the past so i think that's what has made this silence more resonant in some ways uh, so you have decided to use a fiction uh, as a means or as a as a kind of gateway to get into these, uh, these forgotten or hidden memories. Then, why have you chosen fiction over other, you know, other artistic practice? So, do you do you see that fiction uh, writing, uh, you know, the writing, storytelling will uh, give you, you know, the opportunities and what kind of opportunities or or potential is there uh, uh, for you to uh, deal with this, uh, you know, uh, this forgotten memory? Well, I think writing in some ways is very therapeutic as well because it allows you to reflect and on on your memories and spend time uh, just digging up the past and your emotions. So I think that's one of the reasons why I might have been drawn towards writing rather than other art forms. But I think that I didn't really choose it consciously, but I knew that I wanted to to write and in order to write a PhD, uh, you have to write, um, address the theoretical side of it. So that's when I had to um, to sort of ask myself, what am I writing about? And 
that's when I started digging into the past and trying to name that black shadow, that silence, and put it into words. And I think that's why it was helpful to to do it by means of writing. That's a useful, uh, quite a powerful expression, a black shadow. And just talking about you talking about writing, but was it, was your choice of fiction um, in some ways uh, a way to distance yourself from that experience, a sort of a, a protection, if you like, um, without getting too personal, but um, fiction's a, a way of sort of making sense of of things without perhaps being too involved. Or how would you? What do you think about that? I think you're probably right. Yeah, because you are sort of detaching yourself from the story from the story as well, because they are characters, and you're giving them a whole different world. So it's not your story but in some ways mm -hmm. it is but it's also easier to to yeah to address some things through fiction and does it give you a, a greater range of possibility perhaps do you, do you think that's true to say of fiction yeah uh, i agree yeah i think so because like uh, as i said you can you can create a whole new world and you're not really talking about yourself but you are talking about yourself you end up talking about yourself but not directly yeah yeah i want to uh, quickly uh, go back to what uh, what you mentioned that resonates with me uh you mentioned that writing is very th uh, therapeutic i think it is and but do you also think that the uh, you know reading your stories at the, from the reader's point of view, do you think the reading is also therapeutic, especially when uh, the story deals with uh, traumatic uh, events or memories? I think well, write, reading and writing is a dialogue, a way of communicating. So when um, I guess as a reader, when you read a text that is. Um, very resonant with your ideas or that it, um, it that you I don't know how to explain it that it's in that you feel some connection to the text then it's going to be therapeutic in in some ways because you connect with the the character um, the character's suffering worries and it sort of gives you inspiration as well. Yeah, if you can read um, exp about experiences that you can recognize from your own life, it, it uh, I suppose, it makes you feel less alone in the world in a way, I suppose. Yeah, that's what I was trying to say. I don't know if I answered your question, June. Or... <laughs> no, I think we'll, we'll uh, return to that question again, uh, you know, when we talk about a bit more about your actual writing. And I... Uh, I was wondering, uh, often when you, when you write, you write from a this uh, kind of a female perspective, and then explore the female writers in 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 general. And is there something that unique uh, about the female perspective and experienceable, say intergenerational trauma, uh, such as like a Spanish uh, civil war, as it, as it is expressed uh, down the generations. Mm. I think that um, some of the writers I was reading uh, before and during this PhD were women writers writing during the, their regime. You know, and I think that um, their writing was very 
like I could really connect to their what they were writing about, even though it was in the 50s, 60s, 40s, and it had maybe not much to do with contemporary Spain. But for me, uh, just really connected with them. And I think what is really interesting about these writers is that uh, they were often pigeonholed as trivial and insubstantial um, because they were not dealing with, um, they were dealing with the quotidian rather than with big events. And that's why mainly they achieved publication um, in at the time, you no, know, because of the censorship that was going on. Um, so I thought my writing is usually, I think, about also the quotidian and ordinary things rather than big events. That's why I, I just really connected with these writers. Do you think there's more resonance in in, in uh, writing about the everyday? And how, you know, big events might spill down and affect us on a sort of day-to-day -day level. Is that what draws you to those writers? Yeah, I always thought that, uh, like, there are many writers, also American writers like Raymond Carver, who, especially him, he he really was um, saying going saying about uh, the fact that. The ordinary is is important, no? That we can endow the ordinary, uh, we make it extraordinary, because in the end, it's what life is about. Those small things, not those big events. It's about the personal rather than than bigger things. I think, and I agree with that. So speaking uh, speaking of the quotidian, so. Some of your work uh, comes out of this, a uh, what is normal project. So, uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, so, you are bringing, you are bringing this exhibition to Aberdeen uh, in due course, and maybe can you tell us uh, when and where that will be, and what this vision is about? Yeah, this is a very special project. Um, it's a collaborative work with my father. He is a, a professional photographer. And we wanted to work together and do something. We wanted to create a dialogue between photography and writing, where ambiguity would would play a key role. So this is a project that uh, was first showcased last September in twenty twenty in in Cantabria in Sala Ruas in Spain, and a small part of the exhibition will be showcased again the 5th of December in Lugo, in a Casa do Retratista, and again in Madrid on the 25th of February in Torrejón de Ardoz, in the museum, Museo de la Ciudad, as part of the 6th National Encounter of Art. Wow. But the... You've done great, you've done well. <laughs> But the outcome of this project was to bring the exhibition, the complete exhibition, to the University of Aberdeen. Uh, that was my what I, what we really wanted to do to take it to Aberdeen. Uh, unfortunately, with the pandemic, it's been quite hard to find a space to showcase the project at the university. So I I, I still don't know yet the dates or, but hopefully at some point this year we will be able to to take it to already next year, probably. Uh, I'm interested in a little bit more about, you know, how you work with your father. <laughs> so, uh, um, 
so my understanding is that the uh, uh, your father is is um, is a master photographer, uh, and he, of course the, uh, he provides the, the image, and you provide the text. But that's a very that's a really extreme simplification. How do you work together? Uh, who influences who? Uh, were you able to find the perfect kind of a working process between the two of you? Well, um, w to be honest, we are both quite, <laughs> quite disorganized people. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so we, <laughs> we didn't really work much together towards a project. But I wrote the stories, which are short flash fiction pieces, which were part of my MLIT dissertation. And just for uh, people who, just for listeners that might not know what flash fiction is, uh, it, it kind of the hint in the name. But could you just tell us quickly, just to encapsulate what what that what that form is? I would say flash fiction art pieces are very short, short stories, which. Sim they work similarly to short stories. They're quite open-ended and usually maybe fragmentary or have omissions and gaps there. They work similarly to short stories, but they're just a shorter format. Um, maybe, yeah, like, I would, I don't know, in between maybe a few paragraphs or ju they're just very very short they were that's good because they're very visual because they go well it's the best format to put together with a photograph because it's quite uh, you read it quite quickly and and it's quite if the the um, exhibition the photographs are printed and the texts are also printed uh next to the photographs both are printed um the same the same size of um uh, so, so you can get, they're both printed the same size, so they're both quite big and it's more, we thought it was more visual to make the stories quite short. Can you maybe share one or two stories with us? Yeah, I, I can share one. Uh, that was, that is the story that gives the title to the exhibition. It's titled, What's Normal? What's Normal? She had grown used to him. His foundations were embedded in her shoulders, and they were heavy. He locked her in the restroom of the mall like it was a funny joke and asked her to kiss him on the mouth. He grabbed her hand and urged her to caress his body. I love you, he said. I know, but I don't feel like it. I do. With you, it's different than with anybody else. There was a landscape of the seaside and wheeling gulls in the clear sky of the restroom ceiling. She pulled her hand away from between his legs and he was angry again. It was cloudy. The white gulls had stopped circling and were frowning now. I'm not sure I want to. Why not? Why won't you do it? Why are you angry? You are always angry. Why don't you want to kiss me? I don't understand. Kissing is what's normal between couples. I don't want to do it when you tell me to do it. But a normal couple should want to kiss each other all the time. You're not attracted to me. You're not attracted to me at all. He unlocked the door and they walked to the car. 
In the restroom, it was stormy, and then they were gone. And none of those people walking the aisles, shopping, knew what had happened inside the cubicle. On their way to the car, it rained, and he turned into a wall of bricks. They tumbled down onto the pavement in front of her, and she got down on her knees to collect them. Heavy burlap sacks. She filled them and dragged them one by one to the car. Oh, that's a, that's a really powerful story, Libertad. And I think that perfectly illustrates um, what you've been talking about, about the space uh, in a story. The the ambiguity in the space is saying almost as much as as what's actually written. And that uh, that final paragraph is like, almost like a dream, isn't it? But uh, that, that that sentence about those people walking the aisles shopping knew what had happened. None of the people walking the aisles knew what had happened inside the cubicle. And that, that, that leaves us with a real lingering sense of sort of, of what might have happened. It reminds me a lot, actually, of... Um, Hills like white elephants. The Ernest Hemingway story is that is that something that you looked at before you wrote these? Or? Yeah, that's a, a story I really like because I think yeah. dialogues work really well. I think it might have might have been I might be in, have been inspired by that story in some of the flash fiction pieces. Hmm. Yeah, because it's that that spur style that really suits flash fiction, doesn't it? And it's the the conversation between them. There's so much going on that's not that's not been said. Um, and that's what makes it so interesting, I think. Do, is it something you look for in, in, in all your fiction? Now? Is it, is it, um, has it influenced the way you approach longer forms of writing? I think that um, when you're writing really short fiction, such as flash fiction, you really have to pay attention to every word you're using. And it has to have some sort of um, resonance, wider resonances, you know, some sort of unspoken um, vibes. But I think when I'm writing longer fiction, I do let myself get carried away. And um, it just really um, depends a, a, a bit. But I think I do like also to, to get carried away and and write um like i just think that the shorter the the piece is the, the more you have to you know more you want to make an impact on the reader and leave uh leave it up to interpretation no maybe it's very very focused isn't it and it's in its delivery it's um, almost like a poem in that in that sense I have a question about the, the actual writing process so how how do you start? Do you find a kind of pattern where you often maybe, you know, for example, like uh, uh, you start with a certain uh, a word or you have a certain image in your mind? Do you just start? <laughs> That's a very difficult question. Yeah, I think that um, usually it's just an experience that, a feeling and an experience that I might have in my mind. But I am very, very, like I said earlier, disorganized. So I just um, start writing and then try to shape it. And But usually it's just a, a, an experience that has, um, has evoked some sort of emotion and, uh, 
very something uh, usually an experience that is tangible something no not uh, not an abstract emotion but something that you can something that has happened that you can write about that is because i think one of the most important things when you're writing fiction is to to write about real not abstract um things but real things that yeah hmm. so maybe i get i start usually maybe with with something like that like an experience that i have lived that you you can you can tell something something that is tangible not something not something abstract happenings rather than concepts yeah that's an interesting thing to balance against the idea of uh writing about space and silence and going back to the spanish civil war you know when i first read your about your work it was sort of expecting you to be writing about the spanish civil war but in fact you're writing more about the space between people and between exchanges and relationships is would that be fair to say yeah i think so and that, that comes out of the silence of the spanish civil war maybe yeah i think so because uh, like i think that writing about big events and it, it it's just for me more interesting to write about the quotidian like for example these female writers were doing during the regime um, I think it's also very, very difficult to write about the Spanish Civil War as a as a historical event without without having a very um, a, a background and uh, studying and it was just not the part that I was interested in. I think. Could you tell us uh, a bit about one or two of those Spanish writers that you that have inspired you, and do they form part of your research? Is is that part of the sort of critical side of your thesis? Um, yeah, I think that there are mainly three writers that I am analyzing. Um, they are Carmen Laforet. She uh, wrote a novel called Nada which won the Nadal Prize in 1944. Uh, I think she was the first woman to win the Nadal Prize. And she deals with the experience of this girl, Andrea, who, who goes to stay with her relatives in Barcelona after the war. And she finds this devastated Barcelona and the house and her relatives are both almost specters and almost ghosts, you know? And she... Um, there, there are few other writers like Ana Maria Matute or Carmen Ga Martin Gaite who repeat the same character of this girl who who is experiencing the war or post-war regime and is sort of questioning um, social expectations and questioning this patriarchal society in which they they live. That's cool. And is that so? Is that a sort of a, a genre that emerged out of the post-war Spanish literary scene? You could say that, although it hasn't been recognised as that. But um, Carmen Martín Gaite, she she um, defined this type of literature as literature about the strange girl or chica rara in Spanish. It was mainly about this girl, uh, the, the way this, the, it almost became a trope, no, that several women writers were, were using similar characters to, to, um, 
subvert the their regime in some ways. Thanks. Uh, I've been I've been thinking about uh, you know the, my original question that your initial answers like um, uh, uh, so when I was asking to how do you go about doing you know starting then you said the uh, uh, you tend if I understand uh, what you, what you said uh, correctly then you um, you have uh, there are certain feelings that you experienced in daily life. And that tends to be the kind of starting point, and but and uh, I wonder because they one cannot one cannot write something right after they have experienced something, isn't it? So the, the, those feelings always come kind of come later. So you know, for example, I um, uh, for example I had a, a certain very strange meeting with Ian, for example. <laughs> so Ian would say, "Oh, this uh, this guy." It's strange, <laughs> well, because or personally, because uh, those are feelings, of emotions are coming as um, sometimes the pro before you think, before you think. So that that experience comes to you, then later you think about it, and then you realize that that was a strange. How an artist like yourself uh, think about this feeling, and then and you know that the the moment that it happened. And then later you 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 re not reliving but you regurgitate some of the experience some of the events that had happened then think about you know all of those and then start writing so that those period probably something must happen probably you as a writer you might have a, some a interesting way of um, uh, depositing, for example, uh, depositing some of the experience or emotional element somewhere in you, and then bring those out when you write. Have you have you thought about that? Yeah, I think that's a very interesting question, June. I think that um, that you're right. That, that um, probably these experiences are stored somewhere in your unconscious, and you find yourself. Uh, writing about it, it is almost like a necessity, you know, to write them, because it's like we said earlier, it's therapeutic as well. So you need to write about them, and probably it won't be uh, just right after they happened, but you realize later w which of the of the of those experience that you lived, you need to write about. Uh, so I guess it kind of uh, works that way. Mm. And you know then. If we if we uh, push this idea a bit further, then when a certain event it has taken like uh, several years ago or decades ago, uh, like a Spanish Civil War, and then then experience that you have had as a quotidian life, but you also you also kind of a sense that. It's not just me, you know, probably someone else have had a, not similar, but s something like this must happen to them. You know, this whole, I would, say, I would call it like um, collective memory or collective mm -hmm. trauma. Mm -hmm. it, that's, that's really difficult to, uh, to write about. Yeah, but at the same time, it's so, so significant as a as a theme yeah i think this has been probably the hardest um thing to write about because it's almost been like um it's it's been very 
hard because like you said you have to uh, there were some things that I wasn't ready to write about or I felt like I was um, uh, searching for my identity personal identity as I was writing this and it made me wonder are there other people like me maybe my generation that have also um, that are also suffering in some ways the effect of the civil war um, as a consequence of the, their parents' tra trauma or their grandparents. And I find that there are quite a few also women writers too that are writing about memory and family as well mm. in Spain. We're just both <laughs> staring off into the distance here thinking because it's, <laughs> it's so thought-provoking, the, the topic. But yeah, it's. Uh, I suppose you can only tackle that by writing through the particular and through your own experience it's too big a topic to do anything else i suppose isn't it it's it... yeah complete i i agree with that it's interesting that it's perhaps only libertad's generation that is uh speaking speaking about you now libertad as if you're not here but well you're in spain you're not here but um perhaps it's only do you think it's only your generation that can properly start to process that do you think it was too raw as jun said for your grandparents generation well, yeah, maybe, probably because of the indoctrination and I think for um, Spanish people that experienced it firsthand, I think it was um, too traumatic to even try to to speak about it. You know? And it was, also, uh, it was also policy not to, I guess. That too. So it was, but silence is uh, has two sides. No, the the, the traumatic. It's a traumatic effect, but at the same time, it's political because you are have, you are not um, allowed to speak about it. Do during the regime, they weren't allowed to speak about it. And after Franco's dead, with this pact of forgetting, you were also not allowed to speak about it because they wanted to sort of sweep it under the. Um, I don't know the expression, but to just do yeah, carpet, yeah. <laughs> the carpet. How is it policed? How is that? How did the at, a, at an official state level? How was that policy sort of put into practice, into place? It's was, during the yeah this this idea of uh, the pact of forgetting. You know how how did everybody sort of collectively agree to that? Um. Or is it? Is it? You know? Is it? Am I, am I being too literal about it? Is it a term? That's yeah, it's a term that it, it it wasn't like during the regime where they where Franco would, especially at the beginning, execute um, anyone who uh, sort of um, was being obvious about their ideals. Obviously, after Franco's death, it it wasn't like that. But there was this intention, um, political intention, to sort of. Um, not come to terms with the past and not um, which was um, sort of not um, condemn anybody who had had anything to do with the regime sort of leave it as it was no yes not confront it in any way just just move on and yeah no um, as if no justice no in in some ways no no Mm. No, nobody was judged or s sentenced uh, for their crimes, and 
And that's on both sides. Yeah, well, but we're talking more about the the crimes of the regime because we're, I mean, obviously during the civil war there were crimes on both sides, but during the regime Franco was still executing anybody who would um, who would confront him in any way. Any um, so there wasn't a, it it wasn't judged as a. As an authoritarian regime, as a like like in Germany, it was obviously uh, recognized all the atrocities of the of of um, Hitler. Um, but in Spain, although it's not the same, that yeah. didn't really take place. That recognition of of the atrocities of the of Franco during the regime. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, return from the the big subject to uh, what you're doing, uh, which is uh, your PhD uh, studies. Um, you you did mention that you you are not so well organized, but I guess the, uh, the being a PhD student uh, means that by nature, not by nature, by by profession, you got to be uh, critical. You got to be um, uh, organized. How do you incorporate this t- critical with a c- creative uh, in your dissertations? Do you have any? Uh, do you have any um, t- uh, uh, hint for us? For for many of <laughs> PhD students who are doing who are struggling with this issue. I'm not sure. I'm the, I'm the one to give hints on this. But yeah, I agree with you, June. Uh, well, I have found helpful. I have found the critical component helpful, in a way that it has also made me go um, dig deeper into my roots. Um, why I was writing what I was writing, like as I said earlier, it made me ask myself the question: What am I writing about, and why? I had to sort of give a reason, explain the origin of my stories, and it has been helpful because it, like much of of I was writing. Um, uh, unconsciously about some things without really mm, wondering what those gaps were or why why I was writing about certain things and I think the critical component gives you helps you to to dig dig deeper into your stories and really um, uh, to realize what you are writing about. I think it helps you to to figure out what kind of writer you are, perhaps. Yeah, and it helps also, yeah, with identity, like who, what personal identity and your identity as a writer. It gives you your writing more a foundation in some ways. Yeah, more depth, perhaps. Yeah. So the uh, you are in the second year of your PhD, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. So, <laughs> so uh, the clock is ticking uh, as we speak. Uh, what's your hope uh, after finishing your PhD successfully? Mm, that's a really difficult question. Uh, I really hope to be able to keep writing because um, the reason why I started this PhD was mainly to be able to write and write um, to write more, uh, which was something that I felt that it was the great the best opportunity. So when I after I finish, I hope to be able to keep writing some way, and I also hope to to be able to write 
in Spain and in Spanish and to, to, to have the opportunity to, to share my work in Spain the, the same way that I had this opportunity in, in Scotland, in Aberdeen, to take this to Spain too. But just uh, just to clarify, you you know, you you're, uh, the work came out of the MLIT, which was flash, a series of flash fiction stories, which is part of the exhibition, but your PhD thesis, the creative side of the thesis, that's, that's a longer form fiction, isn't it? Short stories, is that right? Yeah, it's short stories, but um, a bit longer, and probably um, they are interconnected between them. Although they are not not a novel, mm. but with chapters. But they, I wanted to connect the stories between them mm -hmm. some way, the characters and the setting. So, uh, do you use the same characters for different stories? Yeah, about not this. I. Not the same narrative voice, uh, not the same maybe uh, time period, but uh, but they are they are, they are the same characters and same settings more specifically too. Uh, maybe I wanted the setting to to be a big part of of it. Maybe the the the, the connection was more the setting. Do you think that uh, the reader uh, will be able to identify that they are the same character? Um, hopefully, <laughs> if not, <laughs> it's not very good, very good work. <laughs> but but yeah, I'm still working on it, and I still need to to see how how I do it. And I was just going to say that I wanted the setting to be a small village in the north of Spain, in the mountains, and I wanted that to be the, the connection between between the different characters who are mainly uh, main ones are grandmother and her her granddaughter which is uh, which also has become sort of like a trope in Spanish literature as well because the figure of the grandmother and the granddaughter is also something very resonant with, with um, post-war literature and contemporary too in some ways yeah, I suppose the yeah those those two generations with the generation separating them, that's an interesting dynamic, isn't it? I guess especially with the setting that you, that you have, uh, with the grandmother being from that you know the that period in in Spanish history and the uh, the granddaughter presumably your it's set contemporary setting, isn't it? It's not <laughs> historic or anything like that. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. No, it's yeah. contemporary. Thanks, Libertad, and uh, this uh, this was really good, uh, interesting discussion about uh, your dissertation and your stories and your exhibitions, and we really hope that we are able to enjoy uh, that that wonderful exhibition in Aberdeen very soon. Thank you, June and Ian. It's been I'm very grateful for this space that you've both given me to to discuss my my work. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by the University of Aberdeen.